HealthQuest Radio. It's Dr. David Kolbaba on AM560, The Answer. Oh, yeah, it's happening all along the beautiful shores of Lake Michigan. Meaningful, life-changing moments all around the world. HealthQuest Radio goes airborne, wheels up. Copy that. HealthQuest Radio proudly presents Adventures in Health with your host, Dr. David Kolbaba. Hi, I'm Alex, and you, well, you're right where you're supposed to be. You're listening to America's number one health news and science show. Our adventure guide, he is ready. He is the voice of integrated preventive health care in our nation today. He's the clinical director of our West Dundee offices. His story will show he is a man before his time, a real trailblazer. My friend, my partner, and my favorite radio boss, here's our host. Host, Dr. David Kolbaba. Hey, Dr. K. How are you doing? How are you doing? Well, today, the COVID facts, actually the COVID facts today. COVID, what have we learned so far? You know, right from the onset of our uh, national uh, pandemic, I spent a remarkable uh, time with a doctor that's, that speaks with wisdom, and it, and it resonates with me personally and professionally. And it just so happens that he's regarded as America's number one crisis care physician. He's also the one that you see testifying in Washington at the various Senate committee hearings regarding certain therapeutic treatments that have been proven safe and effective unlike those that have been popularized and enforced on us as a society. Interesting, too, that, that the same therapeutic regimes that he, Dr. Paul Merrick, and so many of his cohorts, who have now become known as the frontline doctors, these, these therapeutic treatments that are yielding great results with little or no side effects. And even today, with nominal adjustments, these therapies have been shown to be so effective, not only for the treatment of COVID, but also are found to dramatically minimize and help protect against COVID, even for those who have those dreaded comorbidities. Now, that initial radio show with Dr. Merrick and Dr. Peter Corey, I should say Pierre Corey, can be heard by going to healthquestradio.com. And it's a two-hour special that is full of quality information that really can make a difference when it comes to making decisions about what you're going to do regarding this coronavirus. The title of that special two-hour show, Virus Crisis, Is Anyone Listening? That was April 18th of last year. Interesting, though, how timely it is, even today. <laughs> I guess that's the way it is when it comes to truth, because truth is timeless. Now, that's why we're so happy to have Dr. Merrick back again today on HealthQuest. With all you know and what you've come to know, retrospectively, if we would have let this whole coronavirus ride out without any intervention with respect to, let's say, the quote-unquote vaccine, in retrospect, what do, you, what do your senses tell you? I think we needed to intervene, and the interventions that have been mandated, I think, are largely inappropriate, many of them. 
So, you know, I, I obviously may be biased, but if we had approached this scientifically correctly right from the beginning, we could have almost eliminated this pandemic and we would not be in the situation we are now. The longer we've let it fester, the longer we've allowed it to spread, the more chaos it's caused. And perhaps that was what the motivation was, is that to create this panic and this urgency to vaccinate. We have been proposing a treatment algorithm and a prevention algorithm you know, right from the beginning. And, you know, it just so happens that all the recommendations we have we have made, almost every single one, with the exception of hydroxychloroquine, which we removed very early, um, so I need to admit that, hmm. and that was before we had really had good data. But at least since April, you know, every recommendation we've made has been borne out by the highest level of science. And if folks had followed this, we would not be where we are now. And it's unfortunate to say that I think hundreds of thousands of lives could have been saved. The economy would not be where it is now. But I think there was an economic incentive to create panic and pandemonium and fear so that it would force vaccinations and, you know, the use of expensive drugs. Now, I'm not against vaccination, you know, just to be clear. Mm -hmm. And I don't think vaccination is the whole solution. There are many other things that could have and should have been done. And, you know, while this vaccine has had some impact, we know it's probably the most dangerous vaccine ever used in human beings. We know that for a fact, and that's not just making this up. I mean, if you look at the VAS database or the VigiAxis database, which is run by the WHO, there have been more deaths related to this vaccine than any other vaccine in the history of mankind. When they say, Dr. Merrick, that they are following the science, uh, so easily understood by the layperson who basically has come to believe that science is infallible, to say the least, would you say or admit or agree to the thought that there are several different varying degrees or definitions of what people mean when they say, follow the science? Yeah, so people use the science to justify what their position is mm -hmm. without really understanding what science is. So, you know, because that's a good question. They say follow the science. So, you know, when something is reproducible over and over again and is a well-documented observation that's reproducible, that makes sense, that has a basic common sense underpinning, that is what science is. It's very diligent observation, scrutiny of the data, objective data, and reproducibility of data mm -hmm. across different settings, across different patients, across different studies. That's what scientific data is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one has to be careful of one single study. 
You know, the way I look at it is it's like a jury trial. You know, you never have a, you know, a hot gun. But what you most of the time do is have the preponderance of evidence. You know, they present the preponderance of evidence to a jury. A jury weighs up the evidence and then decides based on the totality of the evidence rather than one piece of evidence. So you have to look at the big picture. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the other problem is there's so many people that have a vested interest. So you have to ask, what is their vested interest? What is their angle? What do they have to gain? Mm-hmm. If there is some gain, then the science becomes less scientific and more biased. So, you know, it's so important that you have a some degree of neutrality that you're objective. If people have or organizations have some kind of vested interest in the outcome, mm-hmm. they're going to manipulate either intentionally or unintentionally the outcome of a study or an observation. With what you were alluding to earlier, Dr. Merrick, about the WHO, even their sense or definition that this is quite a serious situation with the quote-unquote vaccine, would you also agree that the people's definition of what a vaccine is or is not, would you agree with the general, at least supposition, that this is not a true vaccine? And if so, what differentiates it from it and maybe makes it more risky? Yeah, so that's a really good question. So this is a novel, you know, I think you have to call it a vaccine, but I would call it a novel vaccine or an experimental vaccine because it departs significantly from our previous vaccines we've used. So basically, previous vaccines came in two flavors. There was inactivated viral proteins or antigens. So these are inactivated viruses. So basically, or proteins, what you do is you inject dead viral particles or dead bacterial particles under the skin and then the host mounts an immune response. Then you have what's called live attenuated vaccines. So the the polio vaccines were like this. So what you do is you attenuate the virus so it's non-pathogenic but still carries some important antigens. So antigens are foreign proteins. Mm-hmm. And then the host mounts an immune response against the live attenuated vaccine or dead antigen. So those are the traditional vaccines that we've been using since early times of vaccination in the 50s. Mm-hmm. And those are traditional vaccines, you know, measles, mumps, rubella, smallpox, you name it. I think these are reasonably safe vaccines. While there are some side effects, vaccination has achieved enormous benefits to society in general. You know, smallpox has disappeared. Polio is almost completely disappeared. People should not be dying of measles. So I think vaccination per se has achieved enormous strides. But those are the traditional vaccines. These mRNA vaccines and the DNA vaccine, the adenovector vaccine, these are experimental vaccines. And I think we have to recognize that these are experimental. We don't have a lot of data on them. We have no long-term data. And what's most disturbing is the vaccine manufacturers have not provided clinicians with adequate information so they can understand how the vaccine works. There's been a complete lack of transparency. So they want people vaccinated, but they don't want to tell clinicians the important clinical immunological 
biological features of how these vaccines work. It's outrageous. Interesting. So your doctor is flying blind. And you're supposed to ask your doctor, ask your doctor, ask your doctor, when none of the companies producing these experimental injections have been forthcoming. More with Dr. Paul Merrick. What position, what perspective, what strategy is the best one to take? You got to keep it right here. It's a HealthQuest Saturday morning with me, Dr. David Kolbaba. You know, I truly believe that we've been exposed to more than a viral pandemic because all of us continue to be exposed to the overwhelming stresses. A cry for help perhaps is all we need when life becomes so confusing, so painful to see others suffering. Maybe that's why we need to get some help from the one who can make things right. You think? A cry for help. visiting today with Dr. Paul Merritt. What best describes your position when you think about those uh, perspectives that are out there for people to choose from? Which is the one that closely matches up with your perspective or position on, on the strategy behind what people should do or shouldn't do? So you really ask a really important question. And the problem is there's been so much misinformation and mm. deliberate disinformation yes. that people out there have no idea who to believe and what to believe. Absolutely no idea. There has been a monumental failure. Maybe I should say it again. There has been a monumental Mm -hmm. failure of the major healthcare institutions across the world Mm -hmm. to provide the public and doctors with truthful information so that they, for themselves, can make a informed decision. Correct. And when you provide misinformation and disinformation, which the WHO, the NIH, the CDC have done, people can't make a decision. The fact that physicians are on the fence because they don't know, mm. many clinicians don't know, how could you possibly expect you know, people without any medical background to make an informed decision? Mm-hmm. And they don't know who to trust. That's the problem. And to compound the issue, there's been such enormous censorship. There's been censorship at an unprecedented level. And unless the healthcare person follows exactly the CDC or uh, FDA talking points and mandate, it's Mm -hmm. considered false medical information. So the truth has been censored. So nobody knows 
what the truth really is. And unfortunately, from a historical point of view, when people look back, you know, YouTube and Facebook have censored truthful information which is gone. It's disappeared. It's not there. So that information will not be available for historians who look back on this terrible, bleak period in our the history of humanity because that information has been censored. And I think censorship is a really bad thing. Mm. There are some people who crack pots, but you know what? I think people need to have a voice and let people decide for themselves what's the truth and what isn't. When you selectively censor people so that a single agenda and a single point of view is disseminated, that's propaganda. Absolutely. And I think about when people can defecate on our flag, and we call that free speech, uh, that to me is pretty uh, perverse from my definition. I would think that anything to be shared with the general public to add to their grid of information would be helpful, not harmful. Yes. I mean, there are certain, you know, fascist groups that have a really sinister hmm. intention. But, you know, I think by censoring people who are trying to say something has terrible consequences and basically it erodes the freedom of speech it erodes democracy it violates science because science is based on an exchange of information amongst people and once you censor scientists they can't exchange information yeah. Yeah. that's how we grow mm -hmm. and science is self-correcting you know we make mistakes but we have an exchange between intelligent people and then it becomes self-correcting if we make a mistake but if you don't allow scientists to exchange information and ideas then you are basically destroying the fabric of science yeah with us having an outreach to Illinois, Wisconsin, Michigan, Indiana, Iowa, and so my question for you to give encouragement to some of our listeners this morning, what one or two of those featured facts that you're talking about that doesn't seem to get out there because of censorship, what might be one or two of those that you are compelled to share because you know it to be truth, even though it is being sanctioned? You know, I think there has been profound lack of guidance on the management of COVID. I think the first thing that is vitally important, and we were promoting this back in April 2020. <laughs> I remember. Is that when people get sick with COVID, you need to intervene and treat them day one. The position of the NIH and WHO and all the professional societies is you do nothing. Let me say that again. You do absolutely nothing. And their patients must stay at home until they go blue, mm. or they can't breathe, yeah. or they die, mm. and then go to hospital. That is outrageous and a crime. Mm. There's no other disease, and we will recommend such therapy. Mm. Imagine if the patient was having chest pain, and we say, no, don't go to hospital. Mm. Stay at home yes. until you have a cardiac arrest, <laughs> then go to hospital. It. It's an outrage. Yes. So we know definitively that if you intervene early, you can prevent progression of the disease. So patients don't need to be hospitalized and don't need to die. And as importantly, if you control the disease, you prevent them spreading the virus to other people in the household and other contexts. Mm -hmm. So I think one of the first major calamitous mistakes, it's a calamitous mm -hmm. mistake, yeah. is the lack of guidance on early treatment. And there are a whole host of things you can do. 
we think ivermectin is very effective mm. for early treatment, mm-hmm. and there's now overwhelming data to support that. But in addition, there are other therapies that are based on science. You know, the use of melatonin, which is a simple drug. Mm-hmm. The use of quercetin, which is a plant flavonoid. The use of fluvoxamine, which is a widely available antidepressant, which has very good activity against this virus. So there are interventions that people can do at home that have been proven to alter the natural history of this disease. And, you know, our plea has been from the beginning, if you are sick with COVID, what you need to do is act on day one mm-hmm. and institute a therapeutic program to treat yourself mm-hmm. so you don't spread it and you don't get further sick and you don't go to hospital and you don't die. With regard to comorbidities, susceptibilities, give us a couple examples yes, of the so most dramatic. That's a really good question. And I think people would be surprised. Mm. Probably the most potent, the most potent comorbidity is obesity. <laughs> it is a profound. It is a profound increases your risk. So, you know, we've had twenty and thirty year olds who otherwise you would think would be low risk who are obese who get very severe COVID and die. And there is a really good explanation. So many things in medicine and life, there is a rational explanation. The explanation, which most people don't know, is that there are more ACE2 receptors in fatty tissue than there are in the lung. So the virus targets fatty tissue, and the fatty tissue probably becomes a source for viral replication and for the production of these inflammatory mediators. So the first most important, I think, is obesity, which crosses all age groups. Mm -hmm. I think the second is age. I think age has a major factor in determining outcome. And there are multiple reasons why age is so important. Uh, It's not just comorbidities. It's elderly people have a different kind of immune response. Elderly people are often deficient in vitamin D. So, you know, there are multiple reasons. So I think the two most important comorbidities are age and obesity. With what you've come to know to date, Dr. Merrick, what do your senses tell you of the origin? Yeah, so, you know, obviously we don't know definitively, and I'm not sure we'll ever know definitively because there have been attempts, very strong attempts made to destroy the evidence. But, you know, as a scientist, I think the preponderance of evidence, if you had to, again, provide the the evidence to a jury, I think the jury would conclude the overwhelming preponderance of evidence suggests that this was a lab leak from Wuhan. I mean, the Wuhan Institute of Technology is in Wuhan. They were experimenting with gain-of-function coronaviruses.
listening to Chicagoland's longest-running health news and science show with your host, Dr. David Kolbaba. Dr. David Kolbaba, natural health care practitioner, board-certified clinical nutritionist with advanced degrees in clinical nutrition. Now, did you know Dr. Kolbaba is one of only nine doctors in the whole darn state of Illinois that has attained this level of education in clinical nutrition? He's one of America's original health coaches, and he is a board-certified addiction professional, and he is the founder and show host of HealthQuest Radio, Chicago's longest-running health news and science. Show. Go to healthquestradio.com. Go to healthquestradio.com. The Cove Hard Facts. COVID, what we have learned so far. More with Dr. Paul Merrick. I hope you find this interesting. Our HealthQuest hotline number, 800-794-1855. I think the preponderance and evidence highly suggests this came from the lab. Secondly, you know, they were claiming there was an intermediate host. So for SARS, the first one, and for MERS, they did find an intermediate host. You know, we know there was an intermediate host for both SARS and MERS. They've never been able to find an intermediate host for SARS-CoV-2. Now, does that say there was some manipulation at that point or some uh, intention? I think there's, you know, there's very little doubt. The most likely source of this virus was from the Wuhan Technology Institute. Mm -hmm. And we do know that prior to the major outbreak, there were four people who worked in that lab who actually had a flu-like illness. Mm. We know that there were safety issues in that lab, Mm -hmm. that there were warnings that they were not following adequate precautions. Now, whether this was a deliberate leak or this was an accidental leak, I don't know. Mm -hmm. You know, one would hope it wasn't deliberate, but, you know, you have to keep an open mind. With regard to the reset of this country, the world, and people are now breaking out or breaking free of whatever encumbrances were there. My question for you, knowing that I believe that you're a man of common sense, which I love about you, what might be a a few tips? What should they do? What do they not have to do anymore? And so on. Do you have any ideas? I think the first thing is to recognize that this is a serious disease. You know, there has been a lot of misinformation, and more recently, that this is no worse than the flu. I think that's an outright lie. Anybody who's worked in a hospital and is seen COVID and seen people die of COVID. No, this is a serious disease. And the the consequences of COVID, the long haulers, is very serious. So this is a very serious disease. I think that's the second most important point. Mm -hmm. This is not the flu. People die from COVID. Mm -hmm. Young people die from COVID. Old people die from COVID. It doesn't discriminate amongst who you are. Mm -hmm. And that a large percentage of patients, particularly younger patients who have mild disease, have this terrible debilitating disease called long hauler. Mm -hmm. So this is a very serious disease. And people need to be mindful 
know that this is a serious disease. You cannot just dismiss it. So what might be a couple uh, distancing, mask wearing, washing hands? What, what, what might be some guidelines yes. if we were so, to give them an update? Yes. So, you know, this obsession with hand washing is ridiculous. I'm just asking. Because we know that it's not spread by hands or formites. Mm-hmm. That is absurd. We know it's spread by droplet and aerosol spread. Mm-hmm. This is a respiratory pathogen that people inhale. So the idea about the bizarre things people do in terms of hand washing and sanitizing. And I can tell you our local library, if you want to take out a book, the book has to be in quarantine for Mm. 72 hours Mm. because somehow they believe that books become vectors for transmission of Mm. SARS-CoV-2, which is completely Mm. and utterly ridiculous. Mm. This does not happen. So, you know, the question is what to do. I think it depends upon what time frame we're looking at, you know, looking at what to do now or Mm -hmm. what to do a year ago. Mm -hmm. And obviously we're in a different place now. I think the first thing is not to forget this is a very serious disease. Mm -hmm. You can't take it lightly. You have to use common sense precautions. So I'm not against vaccination. And it seems like if you have been vaccinated, and you haven't died from the vaccine, (laughs) that your risk of getting COVID and dying of COVID is quite low. Mm. So I think we have to stratify people into vaccinated versus non-vaccinated. Secondly, for people who don't want to take the vaccine, and, you know, I think, you know, if you do a risk-benefit analysis, which is what we do in medicine, you weigh the risk of an intervention versus the risk of not doing the intervention or the disease. I mean, that's what we do. Whether you do cardiac bypass surgery or leg amputation, you always weigh the risks and benefits. Mm -hmm. So the risks of dying of COVID, as we have said, are enormous if you're over the age of 60 and you're obese. Mm -hmm. However, the risks of dying of the vaccine are significantly higher in those who are younger people. Mm. So it makes no sense to me that young people are forced to be vaccinated particularly children. And that's not being anti-vaccination. It's just being common Common sense. sense. We know that this disease kills people in high-risk people. So I think it would be cost-efficient to vaccinate high-risk people. In low-risk people, I think that the risks of the vaccine may exceed the benefits. Now, people will say that's being anti-vaccination. Mm-hmm. No, I think it's common sense risk-benefit ratio. With respect to a comment that Dr. Deborah Bricks is noted for saying, question for you, Dr. Paul Merrick, what the heck did happen to the flu? Yes, yeah, so you know what? It's a good question. The flu is gone. And there's really good data showing that this winter, the risk of the flu was almost negligible. And there's a very simple explanation for that. It's called masks. (laughs) It's called masks and social distancing. So what people were doing is preventing the spread of the flu. Yes. So no matter what people say about ineffective masks are, Mm -hmm. masks were very effective in preventing spread of the flu. Well... More with Dr. Paul Merrick right after we take this short break. It's Dr. David Goldbaba. It's HealthQuest Radio.
Go to healthquestradio.com. What about the supposed potential risk of those who have received the quote-unquote vaccine and the fact that they could be shedding, etc.? What are your thoughts? <laughs> yes, yeah, so there is this wild and bizarre well, theory that I've somewhat <laughs> investigated uh, that people who have been vaccinated mm. can somehow spread the spike protein yes. to non-vaccinated people who can then get ill. And apparently the, the theory is is that people either sweat out the spike protein or it causes pseudovirons in the lungs which then get exhaled. So uh, as far as I can tell, that is a fanciful theory. So, I, you know, I don't think we have any evidence that it actually okay. happens. And I'm somewhat skeptical about the science behind it. But like most things in medicine and most things in life, you know, you have to have an open mind. Mm-hmm. So we need to just follow the story and see what happens. Regarding the vaccine campaign, based on all we've been exposed to, media and general discussions amongst all of us, I guess you could break this up into three, four categories. Health care, try to take care of people. People follow the money, as you suggested earlier, control of the public. And some people actually say in obscure conspiracy theories mentioned the sinister forces behind population control. Yes. I'm not saying that you know everything, but I know you have abilities to interpret what you know based on what you hear. Yeah. <laughs> so I think this idea that it's a way to depopulate the planet is completely absurd. Okay. There's a basic tenant in life, follow the money. Yes. That's follow it. the money. Mm-hmm. And the the organ that has been most severely impacted by COVID is the back pocket. Uh, the back pocket. Mm-hmm. So I think if you follow the money, it will tell you what the truth really is. And the enormous financial incentives to promote vaccination. Uh, I don't know how many billions of people have been vaccinated. Mm-hmm. The cost, I think, is about $20 per shot. Mm-hmm. So you calculate how much money is being spent on vaccination. Mm-hmm. We have drugs like remdesivir, yes. which cost three to $4,000 per course, which we know do not reduce the risk of death. What about the booster theory? Yes. So this is what I was getting to. If we had controlled this pandemic last year, Mm -hmm. we wouldn't be where we are now because it's absolutely predictable what happened has happened Mm -hmm. is that you have the widespread dissemination of this virus. The virus is going to mutate in a way that makes it more virulent so it spreads easier. That's just natural selection. Mm-hmm. You know, that's evolution. That's how things happen. Mm-hmm. So the longer we let this pandemic go, the more destruction is going to be, the more variants there are going to be, and the bigger trouble we're going to get into. Aren't we actually accelerating that whole process, kicking the can or shaking the hornet's nest, actually causing the replication process, the mutation process to happen that much quicker and have the bugs get that much further ahead of us? Yeah, I think if we had controlled the disease in March and April last year um, through common sense interventions as I kind of alluded to everything we could have done to treat people early to prevent the disease 
And I'll come back to ivermectin because it is truly a remarkable drug and has been proven scientifically in randomized controlled trials to be very effective for prophylaxis. So if you give it to healthcare workers or family contact, it significantly reduces the risk of getting COVID. So we should have had a multi-pronged, multi-targeted approach to reducing transmission. I think vaccination is part of the solution. It's not the complete solution. And that's been the problem, is that the healthcare gods have decided the only way to control this disease is through vaccination and have ignored every other kind of approach. Now, what happens when you have one of our listeners want to get their hands on ivermectin and their doctor is less than uh, well-versed at that or the dosing concentration and so on? Is there a place people can go to say, I want to do some of what Dr. Paul Merrick said because it sounded so reasonable and logic. It was commonsensical. Where do I go? How do I do this prophylactically? Yes, so I think that's a very good question. So first, I would direct them to our website, which is the Frontline Critical Care COVID Alliance. So I need to stress that this is a nonprofit group of clinicians who came together to help control this pandemic. On our website, we have a lot of useful information. And it can be accessed at FLCCC, FLCCC.net. So we have a lot of useful information. There is also a link which you can click on, which will tell you how to get ivermectin. So it has a list of ways to get it. But I think there are two recent events which change the whole landscape. Two days ago, Dr. Andrew Hill, who was originally contracted by the WHO, the WHO then kind of booted him out, came out with a meta-analysis on the use of ivermectin. So this data is available for people to download. The paper should be widely available. What he shows, categorically and definitively, that ivermectin reduces the time of viral shedding if you have the virus. It decreases symptomatic time. And most importantly, it reduces the risk of dying by 56%. It reduces the risk of dying by 56%. In an editorial accompanying the paper, the editorialist who is from MassGen said, Based on the available data, this is the most effective drug to treat SARS-CoV-2. Yet the WHO will not recommend it, the NIH will not recommend it, the CDC will not recommend it. So I think the first thing is that people listening to this get hold of this meta-analysis and give it to their physician Mm -hmm. because it's quite clear. Mm. It's non-controversial, it's Mm. non-political, it's based on science that this is the most effective drug to treat SARS-CoV-2, period. Well, more with Dr. Paul Merrick after this short break. This is HealthQuest Radio with me, Dr. David Kolbaba. Go to healthquestradio.com. With us today is Dr. Paul Merrick. And Dr. Merrick, 
Why is it that every time I talk to people just like you, Dr. Paul Merrick or Dr. Corey, one of your compatriots, and I listen and watch some of the videos and listen to the recordings of all these frontline doctors, they're so impassioned, they make sense, they are not sarcastic, they are full of, of vim and vigor. Why is it that this group of doctors, frontline, what is it about them that is so attractive to the general public? Yeah, so I think we're driven by a passion for the truth. We've all seen people dying from COVID. And, you know, once you see people die from COVID, you see the enormous human suffering. I think it hits a nerve. And what we're doing is what we were trained to do. You know, we undertook the Hippocratic Oath to help people. Mm -hmm. And I think we all impassioned with doing the right thing. We just want to provide the truth and we want to help people. And for us, it is enormously rewarding. You know, when we save someone's life, Mm. when someone thanks us from the bottom of for helping them. That's the reward we get. And that's all we want. And it is a tragedy that countless people have died needlessly. Families have been disrupted. It puts us clinicians in a difficult position because we don't want to be anti-vaccination. But I think what's important is transparency. You know, if you tell people the truth, let them decide. I think that they should be able to give informed consent. They should sign a consent form understanding what they're consenting to and should be given the truth so that they can make a decision for themselves. That's such a fundamental concept of a democracy. Thanks so much for your sure. time. Love you, man. I appreciate you. Thank sure, you so hey, much. Thanks a lot, Dave. Hey. Bye-bye. Bye. Our thanks for time for, for Dr. Merrick today. Isn't that something? This radio show today might give more clarity for you or someone you know or in love. And that's why we made special arrangements to get today's radio show uploaded uh, to our healthquestradio.com website pronto. So give us a couple hours to do some editing. And uh, you're going to see it posted real soon because I know that you want to get it to those you know and love. That's healthquestradio.com. I'm sure you want to get the number to get some of the therapeutics information we referred to earlier in the show. That, too, you can find at healthquestradio.com. You hit the red Hot Topics button on the homepage for the links to those therapeutics and a list of physicians that Dr. Merrick was uh, was referring to earlier. I also want to mention, we also mentioned today's show, the quick stress test. I know you're under stress. Hey, it's okay. Just get the test. Have us help you make some modifications. Take the test again and find that you're managing through the stress with much more ease. Our Adventures in Health series, only two episodes left, our TV video series, um, you get a chance to be part of our studio audience if you want to, or maybe fly in through the Zoom. Uh, see it before the rest of the public sees it. Uh, you got to make that phone call, 800-794-1855. That's 800-794-1855. Uh, the past show with Dr. Paul Merrick, we were talking about that earlier as well. Go to HealthQuest Radio, our two-hour special, the initial show with Dr. Paul Merrick and Dr. Uh, Pierre Corey that is full of quality information that can really make a difference when it comes to making the decisions about what you're going to do regarding this uh, coronavirus thing. Uh, The title of that special two-hour show in our archive file there is Virus Crisis, Is Anyone Listening? That's April 18th of 2020, healthquestradio.com. I hope we can help you straighten some things out. Maybe you know as well as I do 
some of the comorbidities that you may have. Oh my gosh, that's what happens. Hey, wait, the comorbidities that you, at the end of the show, I guess, the comorbidities that you may have may stem from a poor lifestyle that we can help him, you know, help you improve and then lower the comorbidity potential. Got to make that phone call, okay? 800-794-1855. That's 800-794-1855. See you guys next week. Okay. <laughs> See you next week. Really